And God, we pray that that would be you, that we would stand upon the rock as your word says, because everything else is sinking sand. Anything else will fail us, will disappoint us in the end. God, so I pray that um, as we grow in our faith with you, that we would learn to continually come to you with things and not just go and try to find a way to deal with it by getting in front of a screen, by doing anything else that would be contrary to really what you want from us. You want us to run to you in all things, with all, with all difficulties, all joys, all of those things. That's part of the relationship we have with you. So I pray that that's where we're found. God, I'm so thankful for this time that we've had uh, to give you honor and give your son honor today. We pray that you'd help us to hear from your word now. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, it's awesome to be here this morning. Amen? Aren't you glad to uh, be able to sing praises to our Lord with all of our friends and family around us like this? You're going to be with each other for a really long time. You know that, right? So uh, we better practice right now. And uh, man, what a rich, rich opportunity. We're going to be in uh, 1 Peter. And uh, this happens in our church. If you uh, haven't been here uh, for a long time, maybe just visiting, um, we uh, actually spent, I think, was it 15 years, folks, in First Peter? And so if you notice somebody next to you that's been a long time attender, like have like this tired sigh when they open to First Peter, just uh, put up with it. It's okay. Uh, we're, uh, we're only just sneaking back. We're in the Peter vortex, but we'll be out of it uh, at the end of the summer. But there is something important for us this morning, and in particular, uh, we desire uh, as a church to be connected and in relationship. And as we grow, this gets tougher and tougher. I don't know how many were able to make it uh, to the park yesterday, um, but man, what an awesome time that we had, being able to see uh, not, ev- not uh, you know, everything being perfectly safe. We did have an amazing uh, moment as we were watching all of the kids completely running themselves on a giant water slide. Uh, that was super cool. And praise God, no one died. It was just an awesome, uh, an awesome moment for children's ministry. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was great to be able to have food together, to be in the park, but also to hear the testimonies of people being baptized from all walks of life. Um, to be able to see young and old folks who have just come to Christ uh, and those who have heard about him ever since they were little, all being baptized, declaring that, and then to take the Lord's Supper together in the park. Uh, That was an awesome time. We desire relationships, and we want to foster that. Uh, We want to be committed to have those relationships be central. But I want to combat something right at the very beginning, and that is typically in America, what we do is we tell others, what are you going to do to win me over? This is an American cultural value. We're consumers, and we desire to connect, but we need to be attracted, drawn in, uh, begged to participate, asked. Uh, we'll spend more time advertising within the church for you to participate in relationships that God's designed you to be fulfilled by, then we should. So we're going to do that once again this morning, but I'm asking you to consider in your heart, if you do not feel connected this morning, what is it that's getting in the way? 
I just want you to be aware that right now there is a national conversation that's going on, and the conversation sounds like this. American values are in flux. Now, do you agree with that? And there's concern on all sides, but they're not having the same conversation. They're not talking the same way. I just uh, read an article uh, by a gal whose book for 30 years has been given to brand new citizens in the United States. 30 years. And it says, these are the cultural values you must accept in order to be an American full-fledged and engaged in our society. All right? 30 years, this has been the standard text for English language learners that were coming into the United States so they could understand not only the new language, but the culture to which they were applying as citizens. Six core values that they highlighted on there, uh, individual freedom, and uh, there's three core values with a price that you have to pay. You have uh, been invited into a culture of individual freedom and the price is you must be self-reliant. You've been invited into a cultural value of equality, of opportunity, but the price you must pay is competition. And you've been invited into a cultural value of material wealth, and the price you must pay is hard work. Now, just in your own hearts, you just gotta ask yourself, is there a little bit of a discussion going on for you? The statement made by this gal and in this group, and in order to be a citizen, this is what they talk about. They say this uh, individual freedom is a strong belief in self-reliance, and it continues today as a traditional American value. It's perhaps one of the most difficult aspects of the American character to understand, but it's profoundly important, the author says. Most Americans believe that they must be self-reliant in order to keep their freedom. If they rely too much on the support of family or government or any organization, they will lose their freedom to do what they want. If they are not truly self-reliant, most Americans believe they must at least appear to be so. Put on the front of it. In order to be mainstream in American life, to have power or respect, individuals must be seen as self-reliant, even if they are secretly dependent. It's an American value, so much so that they say, we'll fake it to fit in. Get this, placing a high value, material wealth, on material possessions is called materialism. This is a word most Americans will find offensive, even though they are materialists. Everyone said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not a materialist. I just don't have any bad stuff. <laughs> to say that a person is materialistic is an insult. To an American, this means this person values material possessions above all else. Americans don't like to be called materialistic because they feel this unfairly accuses them of loving material things and having no religious values. But in fact, most Americans do have values and ideas. Nevertheless, acquiring and maintaining a large amount of material possessions is of great importance to Americans. You must have stuff to fit in. There's a shift going on in our cultural values. Here's one of the things that they've discovered. 30% of young people have rejected basic American values, and this is what they're talking about, but they do not know what they are applying for when they reject them. Who is going to guide their thinking? Now, we would all agree in here, if we are honest, 
that some of the things that have just been stated as American values, we say we can see those values in our culture, but those are not Christian values. But Christians value hard work. Those aren't Christian values, but Christians do take care of their stuff. Do you know that wherever you go where Christianity has thrived around the world, streets are cleaner, cities are safer, people do better business. Do you know that? It turns out it's just nice to do business with an honest person. Okay? That makes you a little more successful. But as a believer, we have different values even than what has been listed for 30 years as the primary text that you learn about when you come in and say, this is what it means to be an American citizen. And our young people are saying, I don't know if I believe all that. I actually like interdependence. I, I love the basement. <laughs> Super comfy. I know that's going to hit really close to home for a few of you. Uh, if your mom nudges you awake partway through the service, that was the point. What is it that we are supposed to do in order to be related? I'm going to ask you this morning to consider that your relationships here will actually help you form stronger relationships out there. If you are rightly related here, it is because you're rightly related with God. And if you are rightly related here, you're going to care more about the world, not less. You're going to desire more to make a difference. We will see you caring for people in a different way because you're no longer worried about your material more than you are the person. You're no longer worried just about your individuality. You are worried about letting down some of your individuality, letting go of some of those accoutrements of American life and drawing people in. Connection is a spiritual value. And we want you to find some way outside of this meeting on Sunday mornings to get connected with other people. And I'm putting the burden of that on you. You get connected with other people. You do the hard work of getting past yourself. That's scripture's words. And get connected. So now that I've offended you up front and destroyed everything, right? You're stuck here for a short while. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and see if that's actually in Scripture, all right? 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read this passage together. Let's stand as we read it in honor of God's word. Here's what it says. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for those of you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were appointed. But you are a chosen race, get this, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Do you believe that? Yeah. 
so that may you, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Are you thankful for that? You may be seated. Father, as we take a look at this passage, I pray that you would open our eyes and that you would help us to be able to assess where we sit on this spectrum. Are we connected? Have we yielded? If we are not connected, Father, it's because according to Scripture, we have rejected your placement of us in the body. Father, we ask you for forgiveness in those areas where our independence and our self-reliance has gotten in the way of relationship. And we pray that you would help us uh, because relationships are hard, because it is difficult. Help us to rely on your spirit, not our opinion. Help us to be connected and help us even on this weekend as we talk about connection and small groups to, Father, commit ourselves to closer relationships within this body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In your notes there, people observed, uh, this is from David Kinneman uh, writing in a book called Unchristian. He says, people observed that Jesus ministered to people on different levels during his time on earth, such as through his teaching, performing miracles, and extensive travels. Yet the devotion of the first Christians was powered primarily by their close association with him. He lived and walked among them. They were willing to die for Christ because their loyalty had been forged in their interactions with him. There may be no more powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus than the fact that so many of his original followers were willing to be martyred for their conviction that he was the Son of God who rose from the dead. We have no record of anything Jesus wrote. He created no organizations. He eschewed political power, even though people expected him to embrace this form of influence. Instead, Jesus, the foundation for the church through relationships, his influence was and is indelible because he changed people. His focus was on reconciling human beings to a holy God through his sacrifice. It's interesting that Jesus frequently referred to God in relational terms, emphasizing the creator of the universe as heavenly father. One of the few traditions Jesus left with us is communion, which began in the context of a meal Jesus shared with his closest friends, relationships mattered to Jesus. When it comes to our interaction with outsiders, we have to realize that our relationships, our interactions with people, comprise the picture of Jesus that people retain. That's an important thought. God has wired human beings so that spiritual influence occurs most commonly through relationship. Not through teaching, through relationship. We gain insight through teaching, but relationships drive us, if we're honest. Now, Peter is in the middle of a series of arguments, and what I'm going to do is just take one observation here for the sake of this morning. In a couple of weeks, we'll unpack this passage just a little bit more. Um, but he's in the middle of an argument, and I want you to be able to hear how this develops so that you can understand the context in which he says you are living stones, that you've come to Jesus, who is the living stone, the cornerstone, and as living stones, you're being built into a building. But it's a part of a, a thought process that he's already developing. In 1 Peter 1, verse 18, 
He tells them that, in essence, God has saved them from the futility of the type of religion that they were following. He has saved them from feudal religion. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life that you inherited from your forefathers. He looks at this group of people knowing that they've grown up in a culture where religiosity was embraced. By the way, I think we as Americans can see this at least someplace if we didn't grow up in it. But within that religiosity, he says, you inherited something from your forefathers that actually didn't open your eyes so that you could connect with the living God. What it did was it shut down your senses. It made you numb to the proddings of the Holy Spirit. It made you numb to the presence of Jesus. God has saved you from a feudal religion that will not grow you closer to God, but instead just ensconces you. It, it uh, encases you and keeps you away from the real kind of relationships that would cause you to grow in Christ. He saved you from that. No longer will you have a feudal relationship. Now you're going to have a connected and a vibrant one. But also, he says, I, I, he has saved you from meaningless pursuits. And, and he even highlights this in uh, 1 verse 22. He says, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Since, because this is already true, you got saved, and in that salvation, something changed in you, and you look at people differently. Instead of looking at them and saying, why don't you treat me this way? Why can't I have? Why can't we connect? Why, why, why? And it, it's like, uh, and what about Bob? He's out there on the street begging, Dr. Leo Marvin, right? I need, I need, I need. Why did we all laugh at Bob? Because we know people like that and we see them in the mirror. We're to love one another. Fervently love one another from the heart. We are supposed to love in a way that has no strings attached to other people. In 2 1, it says, Therefore, putting aside malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. Who are you slandering? Other people. Who are you envious of? Other people. Who are you a hypocrite to? Other people. These are all relationship barriers. These are the things that will get in the way of your relationships. If you're not feeling connected, the first stop in your heart needs to be, do I slander? Am I envious? Is my constant irritational rub causing me to repel people rather than to connect? He doesn't stop there, though. In 2.11, he says, Behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lust which will wage war against your soul. Keep your, ex your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. He says the way that you interact with the world needs to be shaped by your relationship with God. Let go of the things that make you look just like them and get connected in a holy way. He saved you from feudal religion. He saved you from meaningless pursuits, but God saved you from a life of separated wandering. In 2.5, he says, And you as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to camp on that verse. Now, it's part of a flow of thought. This entire uh, section here is all focused and founded on Jesus. We understand that. Amen? If you don't have Christ, then we're not, we're not asking you to start with relationships with other people. We're asking you to start with a relationship with Jesus. 
He died for you, was buried, rose again on the third day so that you could have a relationship with the living God, be completely forgiven. When that happens, it changes how you see the world. So that's where it starts. But he describes a relationship with each other that is unique. So I want to just kind of poke at that for a few moments this morning. And I want us to start with this idea. God has a plan for relationships in the body. And the statement I would make to you is you need to let him place you. Don't come and decide on your own terms where you fit. You let God place you in the body. He's using Old Testament imagery here, but Peter is letting them know that God has a place for you just as you are. Old Testament, uh, all the way through here, quote, 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 quote. He's trying to spark their mind and remind them of pictures that are coming up in the Old Testament. And he talks about being living stones and a holy instrument. So I just want to highlight a couple of things that are implied by that. Something that's really interesting to me when you read the Old Testament is how they were to go about making an altar. In uh, Exodus 20, verse 25, it says, if you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it out of cut stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. It's an interesting thing. We have a couple of pictures here of old altars. This is one that was found uh, in Israel. You will notice that all of the stones in there are just pulled up. They uh, weren't shaped by any instruments. This is one that's uh, a few thousand years old. We have another one that's uh, an actual one that they believe was the altar uh, by Joshua, so about 3,500 years old. Here are these stones that are pulled up out of the field and then built into an altar with a rampway for them to be able to uh, offer sacrifices on that, but all of stones that were just pulled out of the field as they are, and then they were placed. Something else that's really interesting, 1 Kings 6, 7, when the temple is built, it says, the house, while it was being built, was built of stone, prepared at the quarry, off-site, out of eyesight. And there was neither hammer or axe or any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. So it gets transported into the city. And in essence, what it says in Scripture is, silently, over these days, silently, the temple just got built and it was there. Can you imagine? It's an amazing thing. We have a picture of a cornerstone that's put together here. And uh, this is a cornerstone that was used, uh, sunk down into the ground for them to build this wall against. But you can see all the different sizes of stone from a distance, but that perfectly flat top of the wall. It's eroded a little bit over time. Uh, these stones would be small in comparison to some of the ones that were used in the temple uh, in Jerusalem. Some that would, were, uh, one guy says it, it could be up to 70 tons silently arriving, settling, set into place, cut somewhere else. Why is that important? Peter knew that his people would understand the imagery, and that is this. There is a divine author, and he has taken you out of the field of humanity. You're meaningless on your own. You're just a rock in a field. But you don't have to get shaped up and all perfected in order to fit in. What he does, he takes you right out of the field and says, I have a place for you. And the glory of God descends on two objects in the Old Testament. It's on this altar and in the temple. And there he is magnified in the thing that was pulled out of the field and just placed. 
or shaped in another place in order to be put into place. But there was no human effort. It was evident when you were putting that together. You don't shape this. God shapes it. That's the picture. I already have the stones. I know where they're going to be placed. My glory is going to be in that place. And he says, you are altars like that. You are dwelling places of the living God. You are a temple like that. Shaped by God, placed perfectly. You just yield to where the master says you fit. Now that's an important thought, isn't it? You came out of the hoi polloi of humanity and you think that you need to do more in order to fit in. I'm telling you today, you don't. You just got to yield to what God already has assigned you. He's got a place for you. And some of you still have a little mud on your face, okay? Perfect. If we look around, all of us have rough edges. We're a little bit rounded. (laughs) More so the older the rock gets. But he has a place for us. Yield to that. Yield to the place that God has for you. A second thing I want you to see here in this observation is that we cannot be fully known without each other. He says, you all are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. There's an interconnectedness that happens. There's a reason that God places us together. Um, I was listening to Tim Keller. He was talking about uh, this in, um, man, it was a long time ago, a podcast, but I remember him quoting the Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And there's a passage in there that I think helps us understand how it is that you need the people that are around you. Now, you may not think this. You may think that you need to find out if you really enjoy being around them. But I'm going to tell you right now, you need the rub of other relationships. And there's a great value in the body to it. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. Now that Charles, his friend, is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald or having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself where the very multitude of the blessed increases the fruition to which each one of us has of God. Every soul, seeing him in her own way or his own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying out, holy, holy, holy to one another in Isaiah 6.3. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more that we all should have. Do you know that when you don't arrive and the rub that you have with other people around you, you bring out the flavor in other people? There is something that we will not see in those individuals because you are not present. There's something you bring out in them, in those interconnectedness. This isn't related to whether or not you're an introvert or an extrovert. We need every kind of vert, okay? All verts are welcome. We do this in order to bring out, and in that rub of relationship differences, we actually bring out the spice and the beauty and the 
intentionality of relationship, that we would yield to one another rather than our own proclivities and our own desires and our own wish to be separate. We've bought into that iPhone promise or into the, the, our, our technology where it says you can have everything your way. You can be entertained and focused on your own desires and be fully content. Well, that's just not true. You can't even be fully content without relationships. We can't be fully known as individuals without other people to bring out that spice so that they can see who you are. But also without others, there's something missing in your understanding of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read it here for you, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, Paul reminds them of the importance of their relationship with God and their relationship with other that comes from it. He says, therefore, I, as a prisoner of the Lord, implore you, I'm begging you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So how do you walk in a manner worthy of your calling? You connect with other people in a way that blesses them. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit. You were all called by one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But in each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every single one of us has a gift that we are to employ in the body. He gave some, verse 11 says, as apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What is he saying? Every single one of you has been given a gift. And until we all see God right, we're all supposed to be working, chiseling, seeing. And you benefit others in the way you react to God. Amen. Your worship of the Lord impacts other people in the room. Have you felt that? You can have somebody that's worshiping. You can have somebody that is teaching. You can have somebody that in their own private life that has a, a devotional thought or the way that they live out the character of who they are. And they are responding to God. And every single one of us can see that and say, wow, that actually is something I haven't thought of. My personality doesn't run that way. But it's a true way to respond to God. And our appreciation of that broadens our understanding. If you find that your view of God is very narrow, I will show you a person who's not good at relationships. You can write that down. If you begin to see God in all of his beauty, if you are able to see him according to scripture, the way that he has intended himself to be seen, it's because you've allowed him to heal this relationship here and it's healed the relationships there and you begin to see in color rather than black and white. Amen. He wants you to be connected that way. But there's a final thought I, I want you to uh, see in this passage and that is that our ability to bring praise to God is dependent on relationships. I have a couple of pictures of, that rock stackers have given us. Uh, the first one here, I just want you to notice this. Somebody actually stacked these rocks. And uh, I'm told that this is actually from a professional rock stacking competition. So these were intended to remain, all right? Professional rock stackers. Notice the way that some of those arches are put together. And just ask yourself, how did they get those to stick? Is that amazing? 
We have a, a, another picture here, one that's found alongside a river. Here you just have some generic stones that are pulled out, but notice how they're balanced. Here's a, a picture actually from a rock stacking event of somebody putting a final capstone on their stack in order to uh, test just a one single column. Is that amazing? Is that, here's the question, is that stone going to cause the whole thing to fall apart? How did that top one even stick there? I'm expecting glue is involved, but I'm told that's illegal. Do you want to know something that happens when you see this stack? I haven't showed you any faces that are in here, but as soon as you see these stacks, if you're just going along the beach and you see a stack of rocks like that, do you want to know the question that comes in your mind? Who did that? right? And you look at it and you think, I want to see the maker of that stack. I want to see the maker. Do you know that when you and I are rightly related and there's actual fellowship that is going on, that the world sees that and says it's foreign. In fact, the United States, our cultural values, look at the interconnectedness of believers and we look at it and we say, man, how do you get there from what we say is a central value? And instead of looking at you, they say, what kind of a God inspires that? Do you know that? They start asking about the maker. Now, if you're just on your own, deciding whether or not you're going to connect, you're just a rock in the field, people might look at you and say, wow, that's a great rock, right? They can wander by and say, man, look at the roundness of it. Look how heavy it is. It's just deeply set into the ground. They might notice a little bit about you, but we want to know what draws real attention when a bunch of separated, disproportionate rocks get stacked like this, it stops being about the rock and it starts being about the one who placed them. And your life needs to be the same. It needs to stop being about us and start being about the one who is desired to put us in connection. When we are stacked together, there's something that happens. I want you to see this. This is uh, a big Jenga kit that we have here at the church. Some of your kids have played with this. As I push on some of these, you'll notice some of these have a little more connection than others. But if I just start pulling some of these, it's possible to wiggle this out. But not without infecting the whole pile, right? If I just start randomly placing these, or if I start to work on Let's say one of these down here. All of a sudden, you folks are beginning to say, what is he thinking, right? Is he really going to cause that whole thing to mess up? He's going to pull one of those out? And what is going to happen? Well, I'm telling you what's going to happen. I keep going right here. This pile is going to shift. Now, we have a foundation, and it needs a solid foundation in order for it to work. But if I keep going, this whole pile is going to fall right off the stage. And some of you are saying, keep going, man. <laughs> right? That's our nature. What happens if you've started by being connected and you just begin to remove yourself? You say, well, it doesn't really matter all that much, right? This one, he doesn't care. But the rest of that pile is all of a sudden getting real shaky. In fact, what you will notice is on the other sides here, there's a shift that begins to happen. Some of these get really tight. Some of them are bearing more of a load. Some of it is about ready to tip. If I remove a bunch of them on this side, all of a sudden the pile is going to begin to lean. There is a dependence that happens when we are rightly related. I'm going to say this. 
in churches, when you have somebody that gets removed, either by their own decision or by a foul out, there is actually a shift that happens that impacts the entire rest of the group. We're designed to be connected, but we're desired, our desire is that we would stay in righteous relationship. Amen? That we would be committed. Agape love is to serve other people with no strings attached. Not to come in if you rightly suit me. Not to leave just because I don't feel like I want to be there. We're inviting you to something that is real and is a decision. But when you minister rightly to each other, it brings praise. It's not about a job. I'm not signing you up for something so that we can platform our ministry. In fact, if you've been here at Salem Heights very long, you know that we're, we're not about platforming. We're not about just trying to get you to do something so it looks good on paper and we can put it in you know, the Statesman Journal. We're trying to stay away from that paper as much as we can. <laughs> Sorry if you work there. When we minister to each other, it's actually about bringing praise to God. I want to share something with you that's a little intense. But when it matters is when you have somebody that's in your family who has been rightly connected and all of a sudden you know there's a shift and there's no way to get around it. What happens in our culture, what happens in our group brings praise to people on the outside. This last couple of weeks have been fairly heavy here at the church as we've heard from different people getting really in. Um, troubling news. And I asked uh, Oli if I could share just his story. Here's our sweet friend in this uh, auditorium. But uh, to be the, at the hospital um, as they found out that uh, cancer is winning and there's nothing more that they can do. And his deep desire is to be here with you people who for this last 20 years have been the major part of shaping their life. You've been the ones that received them as they come from a gun shop. And uh, you remember, we used to have only statements, right? Where we would take the mic away. <laughs> Lord, don't let him tell a story. But now, all we hear is glory of God. We see this connection in this man who is given and transformed. He and his wife transformed by the Spirit of God. But as I'm there at the hospital, we have another guy that shows up, and I say, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to go in to meet with this family. And uh, we got a guy uh, in our midst, Ken, you remember Ken, who uh, was up here getting dabbed by Pastor Matt with a sponge a little bit ago. Tattoos, rough and tumble, ready to go. And uh, as soon as he heard, here he is in the parking lot. I need to pray for that man. We're in the, the middle of everyone. All right? It's a mess of people out there. And we're praying to God for a brother. They got to meet yesterday at the park. A group of young men who don't even know them. And they said, please, whatever you do, will you let us be part of the team that goes over to the house to paint their place? Can we be a part of ministering to this family? Because their testimony has so connected and enriched us, we want to bless them. Now, I'm going to tell you, as soon as you begin to hear these things, and I'm sorry, Ole and Corrine, for making you a center part here, but it illustrated to me immediately that you get that kind of connection from giving in. It's not easy to be in relationship. It's not easy to come into a bunch of people who it feels like are just families. It's not easy to shift who you are and to be shaped by the people around 
as much as you shape. But one of the greatest things that I've been able to witness, and I think that you have been able to witness, is that when people get this terrifying news or they see these things that are about to happen in their life, and all of a sudden the body of Christ responds. But I've been blessed. So I'm sitting with Oli and Corrine, and they say, hey, remember, we're headed for heaven. And we can't wait to see Jesus, and we're going to see him face to face. And so you let people know that our hope isn't here. It was never here. We just love this people. We just love our family. But God gave us a family 20 years ago that we didn't have. So I praise God for you guys for being a part of our congregation and allowing yourselves to be known. And I'm thankful for how you folks have responded. But we don't have stories like that unless we yield to each other and allow the rub to connect. Amen? Amen. Now, it's not just that inside of a church you can hear these things. When we're rightly related to each other, the world begins to look and say, how can I have connection like that? I think that point is self-evident. What I'd like to do this morning is just ask you to reflect. We need to go, and there's an opportunity for you to sign up for small groups or some other smaller connection, some place where you can relate to people. Uh, that, that's in an organized way. Inside of our church, uh, we have that. But I want you to just ask yourself about the greater context. Am I in my home, in my daily life, connected to people in some kind of smaller way that brings glory to God and causes my relationship to flourish? Are you letting personal proclivities and irritations get in the way of relationships? He says, therefore, put that aside, malice and envy, hypocrisy. Don't let it get in the way. Are you doing the work to let go of yourself and let others in? You have an opportunity today to sign up for something, and it may not be comfortable for you. You may not feel like this is the just natural next step. But folks, you are living stones, and the Spirit of God is glorified when you come together and allow him to stack you in whatever arrangement he finds necessary to bring himself glory instead of yourself. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us now to apply these things. Help us to see the truth of what it means uh, to be not just a believer, but a well-adjusted believer, somebody who lets go of themselves and gathers into relationship with others. Father, I do pray you would save us from our own personal proclivities, our own desire uh, to set a personal standard, uh, to hold others at bay, or to say you need to meet a certain mark before we'll relate. Father, help us to set aside those values that aren't your values that would get in the way. And I pray, Father, that as you cause us to bow in response to you, that we would yield to relationships with others. Help us to get out of the way. Father, we pray you'd help us to relate in a way that causes not only you to get glory, and us to feel blessed, but causes the world to look up. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.